0: Before we start, I just want to say, last week we were at South by Southwest. We did a live episode that you can check out. It was at Slack headquarters, Slack City at South by Southwest. It was very cool, very fun. Thanks again
1: to Slack for having us. But go listen to that. It's in the feed. We talked a lot about the moon. Support for the show comes from Kohler. Smart lights, smart refrigerators, smart locks. The list of smart gadgets meant to make life more convenient grows longer and longer every day. But what about smart things that are also beautiful things, luxurious even? Meet the NUMI 2.0, Kohler's smartest toilet yet. The NUMI 2.0 is a fully connected oasis of clean and comfort with unmatched sculptural design. More than a toilet, it's a work of art. Make your bathroom the smartest, cleanest, and most comfortable room in your home with Kohler. Learn more at Kohler.com.
2: You're at a place you just discovered.
0: Hello and welcome to the VergeCast, the flagship podcast of the moon. All of its
3: implications.
0: (laughs) What if we pivoted this entire show to just like moon crystals and like lunar wisdom? What I'm getting from the internet at this point in time is that might be more lucrative than journalism. (laughs) First of all, I suspect moon podcasts might be an even more competitive space than Than business or tech podcasts it's like all right guys we we can take it to jason calcanis and david Sachs with the moon people (laughs) that directory is too too loaded hi i'm your friend neil this is a verse cast it's actually a podcast about technology it's just the technology implicates the moon in a very serious way alex kranz is here
2: i'm the dark side of the moon there we go that was a lazy joke
0: sorry it was not great, although best-selling album in every format throughout history. Very confusing fact. Good album. Yeah. Dave Pierce is here. Hi. I'm your friend who, over the last five days,
4: has been totally radicalized into believing the moon doesn't even exist. There you go. See, I knew this was going
0: to
5: happen.
2: <laughs> yes! It's not real.
5: Verge AI moon reporter James <laughs> Vinson is here. <laughs> I am on the moon right now, as we speak.
0: Can I tell you my, my favorite, silliest culture war moment? Is when like a bunch of new right wing nut jobs looked at the reissue of Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon, which very famously has a rainbow going through a prism, and they're like, "This band is woke." <laughs> they're just like this sort of like polite. What are you talking about that occurred after that? It was was just a choice choice moment. Sir, this is a Tower Records. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) exactly.
2: You're in a Sam Goody. All
0: right, let's start quickly with a moon update. So if you listen to our show at South by Southwest, you know that there was some extremely important breaking news about the moon. Maybe the most diverged story in the history of the world, which is that Samsung and Huawei and other companies have been processing photos of the moon taken with their smartphones in increasingly aggressive ways. And Samsung, in particular, obviously sells a lot of phones in the United States. People have been trying the photos, testing them, seeing the limits of the processing. A Reddit user discovered that you could could take a photo of a blurry photo of the moon, and the Samsung system would add detail back into the photo. So impose detail that was not in the original shot. However, it's still the moon. So the philosophical implication of what is the moon, as David said, can lead you to go absolutely haywire. James, Samsung has attempted to explain... You wrote the original story here, so I'm curious what you think the moon is and whether it's real. And two, <laughs> Samsung has now responded to this story with an explanation of what its AI is doing that, first of all, is basically just a, an English translation of the Korean blog post that already existed with a, a little bit more detail. Yeah. And second, does not appear to be all that convincing or actually explanatory.
5: Well, I, so, I mean, so I, I've been covering this with another UK-based reporter, my colleague John Porter... And yeah, we've sort of been having, we've been getting into the weeds. We've been getting into philosophical arguments about what is the difference between taking a photo and creating an image. And I think that for me, that distinction, you take a photo, you create an image is sort of the 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 crux of this difficulty about what's happening. Because basically Samsung have copped to everything that this Reddit post has said, that they're adding in details, essentially. And from their point of view, they're just saying, well, we know people try to take nice photos of the moon. We trained a convolutional neural network which is sort of quite now an old-fashioned form of machine learning model but is uh, small enough to run on a phone we trained it on images of the moon and when we think you're taking a picture of the moon we use that to um spruce it up and make it look more like the moon And, and you know I I think this is a fascinating edge case because you really can't do it with many things that aren't the moon, (laughs) because the moon, the moon is the same. It's the same to everyone. Famously, we only get to see one side of the moon at any one point.
0: Right, the other side is woke, as I've
5: been led to believe.
2: (laughs) That's where I'm the. I'm the other side.
5: Yeah, the the other side is one huge pride flag, and the government does not (laughs) want you to see that. But, you know, you only ever see one side of the moon. You see it in various rotations. And there is a really interesting thing called the librations of the moon, which is essentially how it waggles on its axes and exposes bits of the edge anyway. So everyone is always looking at the moon from the Earth, that which makes it a really easy thing for a neural network to improve and turn it into this nice picture. And it also happens to be this fantastic marketing gimmick. And, you know, there's these um, adverts for, for Samsung's latest phones where they show off, you know, the camera doing all these fancy things and and one of them is going to be taking a picture of the moon and in one of them you know they obviously have the the Samsung camera versus a telescope and the Samsung camera takes a better photo of the moon and everyone's really impressed like i i think it is just this really unique conjunction of uh technical amenability of marketing marketability and that exposes what others on our site have written about Allison Johnson did a fantastic piece about this talking about how you know Photography on smartphones is shifting ever more and more towards computational uh, rather than optical data, shall we say? And that is the balance that I think people are trying to trying to understand. And that's the difference for me between taking a photo and creating an image, whether it's more optical or whether it's more computational. The moon happens to be an example where it can shift really far towards the computational, and that is why it has caused this sort of explosion of, well, not outrage, I'd say, but dismay, and also. Who doesn't want to put like a headline that says the moon is fake in it? I've been wanting to do that ever since I became a journalist. I was
0: very jealous that you were able to publish that headline. And I will say, the the, you know, there are like clips of us on the podcast talking on various platforms. And people are like freaking out. They think we're mad. I am overjoyed (laughs) about this story. I want to live in this story for the rest of my life. Uh, I will say to complicate your dialectic there, James. Yes. Professional photographers have called it making a photo for a very long time. Right. right. Yes. Because yeah. they are deeply aware that their choices in lighting, in exposure, in treatment, all that stuff are intentional artistic choices that they make along the way. And they're not, you know, just like taking a photo. They're like making, they're they're making choices. I and mean, if you talk to any professional photographers, which you can just find them on TikTok and they will talk at you very loudly about this. Yeah. They're very careful that what they're doing is making a photo. So that that little dichotomy, that little tension in the world of photography has existed for an extraordinarily long time. What I would ask you is, you're right, the moon is a special case. It's all of this work, right? We're doing all this work. Here's this whole flow chart from Samsung that you can go look at. And it's like, is it worth it? Shouldn't you just paste in the moon? (laughs) Like, it's (laughs) if it's always the same, like, why are we doing all the work? And there's something about doing all that work that makes it honest, or at least arguably honest, as opposed to, we noticed that you're taking a picture of the moon. It turns out the moon is always the same. Here's a clip art moon.
5: Yeah. Yeah, it's a notion of authenticity, isn't it? And this is what people who have agreed that Samsung is faking these images, I think that is what they are annoyed about. They feel it is inauthentic. And as you say, you're totally right. Professional photographers have been aware of these choices for ever since cameras were a thing and i think samsung's explanation is basically well we put so much work into it uh it can't be a bad thing and i think that's <laughs> not that's not what people are annoyed about they're not denying yeah. that there's work involved they're saying that you know, maybe our society is just really artificial. I don't know. It makes me sound like I'm posting on Facebook again. If I go, you know what, guys? Oh, everything's really fake right now. Our <laughs> smartphones <laughs> fake. Isn't the world full of phonies?
0: You know, it's real moon crystals. Nineteen ninety nine. We'll send you a bag every month. Sorry, <laughs> but that that
4: um, I'm also sorry that line you just described is really interesting, though, because it's like if you were to just like take out your Samsung phone and say like Bixby, Take a picture of the moon for me. It could do a lot of the same work and figure out where you are, what time of day it is, what the weather is like, and conceivably use relatively similar technology to get you a picture of the moon that would look like the moon as you see it now. That, I think, would feel much worse to people than this, despite being functionally not all that different. So there's something about like, I'm pointing a camera at it and I'm doing something that feels- better. I don't know where that line is, but I feel like that's where this has come up. And there's been this big argument. And I think everybody is right, which is my favorite part about this, right? Where there's like the proponents of this. No, there's are like, are some
0: go- people who are wrong in there
4: in the comments <laughs> of our Instagram. reels. Some of them are wrong, but there are people who are like, if this is exactly what Samsung should be doing. You, why would you want to take a crappy picture of the moon when Samsung is able to give you a better picture of the moon? Totally valid point. I completely agree with it. Uh, there are other people who are like, this is not the photo I just took." what the hell is this thing that you're giving me? And I also think they're right. And it it just ends up in this like weird philosophical question, which is, I think why this has been so much fun for us. David,
0: Here's what I want you to do. I want you to make a volumetric scan of your new baby, (laughs) feed it into blender and be like, what I need you to do is age this baby over time. And then just take photos of the three D model of your baby. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Like we're that close. Like that's kind of what we're talking about.
2: No, no. The moon's a little the moon's a little more static than David's baby, presumably. No,
0: at some point we're just we're watching Will Smith, the AI generated young Will Smith instead of Will Smith. Like we're right there. I thought Emma well that movie sucked by the way. It did. I just want to be very clear. It sucked
2: really, really badly. But Emma Roth did this really great piece this week about astrophotographers and like their reaction to the moon photo. And they were like, Yeah, we do that all the time. Like in astrophotography, Mm. they're like, Yeah, we 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 take like crummy pictures and then we go into Photoshop and we edit the hell out of them. And then you're like, oh wow, the stars are there. And that is very normal for us. And so they're like, yeah, this is also normal. Samsung's doing it. Thanks, Samsung.
4: I think starting from the assumption that bad pictures are bad and you should make them not as bad is both not a terrible assumption and also what every camera manufacturer is doing. Like Google's out here removing things from the background of your photos. Like, you know what Google can do? Is just remove the moon. (laughs) I could take a picture of the moon and then be like, nope, no moon. Bye bye, moon. And it's like, this is what everybody is doing to different degrees. They're just saying, You don't intend to take bad photos, so let's help you take good ones wherever we can. And where that line goes wrong, I don't know, but I honestly think for most people is like way down the road where it's like, my picture is not blurry, I'm a happy man.
5: I do want to make one quick point because I agree with that totally. Like, what what is the point of photography? What is the point of hardware? As, As you say, David, it's to help people take good photos. And I think this is something that AI is really as neil i said is going to confuse more and more as it gets more and more accessible and as it's used into more products because you know i saw this startup the other day which was like are you bored of taking bad headshots of yourself for your startup give us your photos we put them in an ai image generator and we give you your perfect That's headshot right. photo and it's just two like-
0: minutes from now they're just going to be making david's baby photos
5: <laughs> in a business suit little businessman. this love is what that.
0: ai is for is hustle culturing your way through the internet the moon rocks are just 1999 they're going to re-energize your energy <laughs> and change your vibes uh that's at the verge.com now yeah the moon all right i will say this our producer has now changed the words we got it fam let's move on from normal <laughs> to bold to red to underlined i look i could i can live in the moon story forever but there was some actual ai news this week that it was not about the moon sadly or happily depending on your <laughs> point of view uh, GPT-4 was released from OpenAI. Google announced AI tools in Gmail and Docs. Microsoft, its own AI tools in Office. Let's start with GPT-4, which, frankly, the, the things people have done with it in just the, the handful of days that it has been publicly available are, are kind of mind-blowing. James, what's going on here?
5: So this has been awaited and hyped and rumoured for a long time. GPT-3 came out in, oh gosh now, 2022. Uh, 3.5 has been powering chat GPT. So people have been waiting for this and there's been a lot of pressure on OpenAI about what they're going to do with this. They have been... How's the rollout been? They've given it to a lot of people already, I feel. They've already got it in a lot of products. I think this is the point at which, you know, you look back at the first GPT paper, which was in 2018. Obviously, it's a research paper. GPT-4 is straight out of the gate. It's a product. It is something that is being used by Stripe, it's being used by Morgan Stanley, it's being used by Duolingo, it's being used by all these companies already. Um, So I think the excitement with GPT-4 is um, that it is a fully fledged product. There are all these interesting novelties, um, you know, that you load up Twitter and you cannot escape some thread of someone saying, here's why GPT-4 is going to be the most revolutionary thing since the steam engine, since fire, since whatever. And a lot of those are are truly very impressive, but we've seen in the past with technologies like this, that consistency, that truthfulness, continue to be big problems for these language models and obviously we also have the microsoft news which we'll get to later that they're putting gpd4 they're using it throughout their office suite in order to help with the sort of drudgery of um, office tasks so yeah it's a huge story it's been everywhere but people are still really trying to assess how much of a revolution this is the big thing that it does that earlier iterations didn't do is it can understand it can process images as well as text So you can show it a visual input of some sort, whether that's a a meme or a diagram, and it will be able to answer questions for you. You know, one demo of this was you show it a picture of the inside of your fridge. It recognizes what's inside there and gives you recipes to make. However, that is still, that's not a skill, a functionality that is widely available yet. So far, we've only got the chat input and output really available to the public. So yeah, there's a lot of stuff that we're going to have to process as this sort of rolls out and people test it more.
4: One of the things that is, weird to me about this rollout and i'm curious how you've processed it james is that on the one hand like you said this is the most producty thing open ai has ever done to mm. wild degrees right like it's it's they're charging money for these things now they're closing their research wings and not showing people a lot less about what they're doing which we should get to in a minute but then at the same time sam altman the ceo of OpenAI, is has been out here sandbagging GPT-4 for like months in every interview. <laughs> he's like, this thing isn't going to be as good as you think. We haven't solved everything. He keeps saying like, it's less impressive the longer you use it, which is just a deeply hilarious thing to say about your own product. Mm. Like what does open AI actually think of this? Do you think?
5: So I think, altman is speaking when he's been in these it's really interesting to look at what he says depending on who his audience is going to be and i think when he's speaking the when he's saying these things about dumbing down people's expectations he's often speaking to not the mainstream crowd per se but he's speaking to a sort of hardcore of ai researchers within silicon valley who are very concerned about existential risk for example you know these are people who think that the current path we're on is that AI is going to become, you know, this out of control entity that acts on its own instructions, acts right. under its own regards and starts messing up things on the internet. So in, he's definitely speaking to them. He's saying, look, guys, it's not at that point. You need to calm down. So
4: he's trying to convince However, them that it's not the end of the world, like literally the yes. end of the world.
5: Okay. <laughs> but he, he, he's doing this rhetorical trick. Oh my God, I should have looked this up beforehand. Lytosis, I think it's called, where you bring up something in order to say that it's not a thing it's like i wouldn't i would never dream of talking about my opponent's lechery. i would never even <laughs> accuse him of you know visiting brothels or whatever it is and altman is sort of doing that with ai he's saying oh don't not even worry about this being the world destroying super intelligent computer that's going to take over the world <laughs> we would never we we have that so under control don't even think about it and then and then suddenly everyone's going oh my god they're building a super intelligent computer like um i think that's what he's doing as well is that he is very clever at using people's cultural expectations of AI in order to gin up excitement and if you look at the trajectory that OpenAI has been on under his under his command it's worked fantastically they are rolling in money they are beating google they are you know that microsoft is is working for them in some ways you know in terms of the azure supercomputer that they've built for them like open are from a sort of business competition standpoint doing incredibly well and a lot of that is to do with how altman masters that sort of rhetoric in the open field
2: but he's also doing it to like cover up the fact that it is kind of dangerous people do have concerns and he hasn't addressed any of the facts of like how it can be a major tool for misinformation right like yeah, he's doing successful yeah, in mean, the business stuff at the at genuinely the the potential cost of like major parts of sure. our Sure the, and then the
0: evidence of that yeah. Alex I completely agree the evidence of that is that they've closed down the research function it's yeah. the open in open ai is a misnomer now they've closed it down and James yeah. they have told you that their previous yeah. approach to building in the open was a, a, I think the word they actually used was we were wrong
5: Yeah, flat out wrong was the quote I got from uh, Ilya Sutskiva, who is chief scientist, co-founder. So he was one of the original seven or eight figures, along with uh, Altman, along with Elon Musk, who's obviously he's no longer connected with the company, who founded OpenAI. And again, they are are speaking to this idea of AI safety and AI risk. And, you know, the tricky thing about this is, well, not the tricky thing, the, the fascinating thing about it is that everyone disagrees. Some people think you should have open AI systems because only the community can truly stress test these things. And I I think there's, you know, obviously we look at what happened to the Bing chatbot microsoft obviously <laughs> rushed that out the but, most stress you know, tested the, but it got stress tested by the entire internet over the space of a couple of weeks and they you know it on in a way that was very bad for microsoft to put out such a easily breakable product but i bet microsoft was also pretty happy with the fact that they got all this fascinating and useful data about how to improve it so that no, is microsoft one went from
0: no one ever talking about being To a lot of people being like, I think Bing is in love with me, which is an incredible journey for any brand to go on.
5: Yeah, they I, yeah they got a lot out of it. And, um, you know, some people think that OpenAI's research should be open for the same reason. Others think that, as uh, Satsukiwa told me, that because it is now getting potentially dangerous, that means it should be closed off. However, I want to stress that he gave two reasons. He gave one was uh, the business reason in that we don't want our um, rivals to copy us. And the second was the safety reason in that we think this could be a threat to society. And he said right now the business reason is foremost. So I think he didn't say this. I mean, um, I I should have asked direct a little bit more directly but I think Microsoft has probably had a word. I think at this point the amount of money that Microsoft has behind this product and the amount of which their brand is currently tied to this AI and what it can do, you know, we have their new announcement for them today. I think part of, I think someone said Nadella said, you know, we can't be giving these secrets away to Google when we are suddenly in a chance to overturn their position in a lot of dominant mar- in a lot of markets. So a lot of people are incredibly mad at open AI because they were, you know, to, to use the Star Wars meme, they were the chosen one. They were supposed to save AI research by making sure that everything would be developed for the benefit of humanity. That's like part of their original mission statement. And now they are another corporate uh, actor like anyone else. And if you're really worried about AI risk, you might now see them as someone who is accelerating AI risk because mm-hmm. they are developing it based on business interests, not on ethics. F- ethical and safety interests. So it's it's a big trouble.
0: So the maybe the most prominent critic there, Elon, who surprise, Elon has an opinion <laughs> about something online. Yeah. But Elon initial investor in OpenAI, and I think his tweet was very curious how my hundred million dollar investment into an open AI project has turned into a thirty billion dollar for profit company. Which yeah. Elon baggage aside, that is a very direct statement of the problem. Yes. Right here is this this thing that was started as a nonprofit to reduce this risk, and has now become a very profitable private company,
2: increasing the risk.
5: Yes, yeah. It, it, the tricky thing is that the nonprofit still exists. Um, OpenAI has a incredibly bizarre corporate structure which I, i'm probably not fully qualified to explain all the details of but essentially it has a non-profit controlling entity and then a capped profit entity that makes all the money and that is controlled by the charter of open ai and they have this big promise in the non-profits charter that as soon as they think they are anyone in the world is two years away from developing a super intelligent agi they will stop all business work that they're doing and work towards helping that project be launched safely. Now, in one way, it's obviously very admirable. You, some people see it as very admirable to be like, "Yes, okay, we'll give that up in order to um, have the safe thing first On the other hand, it's also for lots of critics complete bullshit. <laughs> Who has a definition of what a super intelligent AI is? They can change that whenever they like. There is, you know, if OpenAI has proved anything, it's that they're extremely malleable, and if they've proved what their goal is at the moment is making money for Microsoft. That's it.
4: Well, and if you're OpenAI, the simplest business decision now would be to decide that you are the one who is two years away and like, oh no, we (laughs) happen to win this race. I guess we'll take all of the money. And what's been weird to me about this is on the one hand, it does totally fly in the face of everything that OpenAI has ever said about what it wants to be as an organization. But on the other hand they've been kind of telegraphing this for a long time and my my running theory for the last like 6 months has been that this happened much 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 faster than anybody at OpenAI thought and that somewhere in the last like 12 months the the executive team there and frankly like the whole tech industry went like oh my god this is this is here like this is real now we can do this and somebody at OpenAI went like oh no we're We're screwed if we don't figure out how to do this. And and somebody at Microsoft, potentially including somebody like Satya Nadella, was like, we need to pull as much of this under our own auspices as possible. And I I don't know. I just can't stop thinking everybody thought this was going to be like a 2027 problem and then turned around in like September and was like, oh, shit, we should probably start doing
0: this now. I think that's a yes or a no in our blessed summer of NFTs. (laughs) <laughs> like the the burbles that that from Microsoft in particular, the burbles that that was nonsense and AI would be the thing were already there, right in the background. Sure,
4: but Google's been saying AI was going to be there for ten years. Like this is everybody knew it was coming. I, I just look, don't think
0: anybody knew it was here. This is the thing I say about Twitter all the time: uh, saying that current administration of Twitter is bad does not mean that previous administration was good. Google is just like lost, <laughs> right? And like Google's errors along the way to not let people play with the product or Mm. demonstrate it convincingly have created a perception that is very far behind, whether or not that is true, right? Like they're giving away uh, one of their models, but the, the good one Lambda that (laughs) the guy thought was alive, uh, we we haven't really seen it in action. It's going to get rolled out into some of these products. Uh, James, I'm very curious. You know, the the Facebook model was leaked. You can just like torrent it. Weird things have started happening with that model that has implications for, for safety I think that's going to be the first kind of big test case of what happens when these models are just literally out in the open. And yeah. in the meantime, I, I don't want to lose sight of this. The things we have seen from GPT-4 this week are legitimately amazing, Yeah. right? The I took a photo of a hand-drawn sketch of a website and it coded the website for me and it works is amazing. The, yeah. I saw one person feed into it, code me a game where the right side is Pong and I control the paddle and the left side is the game of life. Yep, You know, where the bits and bobs, like the pixels, like breed and kill each other. It worked. It just worked. I can't do that. That is a capability Mm. I didn't have. And now I can just will it into existence by telling a robot to make it for me. I've seen people Mm. fully code Swift UI iOS apps. Did,
4: Did you guys see the one where the guy built an app that would recommend five movies to him every day? Yeah, yeah. that to me is like it's such a for whatever reason for me, like all of the chat GPT stuff has just been like a movie recommendation service. Like it's all neat and whatever, (laughs) but I can say like I like heist movies and I have Amazon Prime and Netflix. What movie should I watch tonight? And it like does it successfully and it's incredible. And this guy was just he basically with some back and forth with GPT four built an app that every day recommends five movies, pulls in trailers, pulls in information and it just does it. No coding, no nothing. And then at least according to his thread, basically like copied and pasted it and
0: submit it to the app store it's nuts hmm. right so there's there's something underlying that that is important which is he knew how to make an ios app, and so the thing writing the code like chat couldn't do the work as james is pointing out like it can't it might be able to deduce the nuclear codes but it can't go push the buttons for you <laughs> and sam altman is like and we'll never let it do that wink wink <laughs> yeah Uh, This is like, yeah, I can write a bunch of Swift code because there's a bunch of Swift code on the internet for it to go look at, but it can't actually put it into Xcode. It can't actually hit compile. It can't tell you if it's going to work or not. Right. This is like the examples here are a human being working with that system almost as a peer. Yeah. Right. And like going back and forth together in a way that even the previous GPT 3.5 iteration of chat GPT was not up to that standard. So that's really impressive. But the idea that now it's a business and the GPT-4 announcement came with a lot of sort of like API customer announcements, as you were saying, James, Mm -hmm. now other businesses can depend on this to run their business. That's the turn. And that's where I think Casey and Zoe had it in platformer this week that Microsoft is like scaling down its ethical AI research investment because they're the people who say no. And now you're like, well, there's money here. So we're going to start saying yes at a higher rate. Yeah.
2: So the turn here, it seems to me, isn't that chat GPT got better. The AIs got better. It's that we realized we could make money. We figured out how to profit off of them. And we found that the profit was better than the potential moral ramifications of releasing this thing that has like is a major misinformation tool.
0: Wait, wait james do you do you think that's accurate to say is to that Andrew accurate better? yeah
2: james i mean call me up bullshit if it's bullshit but that's like my read
5: i think that is a hundred percent part of the dynamic and i think that is why this lack of information that OpenAI released for gpt4 in particular has stung people because they were founded as a non-profit where they were supposed to be above these yeah. uh corporate motivations and obviously they proved that they're not. Their their reason for getting into bed with Microsoft was that they needed a huge amount of computing power in order to create these systems. And Microsoft or some other corporate partner was necessary to provide that. And I I speak to a lot of people in the AI policy world, and this is like one of the big things they're really worried about, is that only corporations can build these systems. And corporations have very different incentives, have, have incentives that are not necessarily aligned with the rest of society. And that is not, A controversial statement, you look at any, I don't know, the history of any chemical manufacturer, DuPont or whoever it is, or, you know, any, any, any industrial supplier, they will always make decisions where, or consistently make decisions where people's safety is just not first and foremost. So Alex, I think you're completely right that this, this is part of what is happening now. The interesting, or the, the thing that makes this so knotty is that you have people who believe not that this is, say, a minor hazard to society, misinformation or propaganda or spam, but it is an existential threat to society that it's going to turn everything into paper clips, and it's going to turn us all into grey goo. It's very difficult to pull apart those two <laughs> strands of thinking and, and to know what is motivating whom because a lot of people in Silicon Valley who are building this stuff, you know, you look at surveys and they're like, yeah, I fully believe this is a huge threat to humanity. And then you kind of go, well, why are you building it then? (laughs) man?" And they say, because I think I can help it be less of a threat. And that's, that's very real as well. So pulling apart what is a corporate motivation and what is an existential, a philosophical motivation? Very, very difficult.
0: Yeah. I think that the thing that gets me right now is we're so on the verge of there being a, a robot internet where Mm. robots are making seo spam for other robots to read and turn into affiliate links and then a human internet where real people are just like writing fanfic for each other or whatever
5: yeah this was another gpt4 experiment where a guy was like he started a conversation with it and was like i've got a budget of a hundred dollars I want you to make me money. Tell me what to do and I will do it. And he ended up, the GPG4 came up with this idea of starting an affiliate link uh, website for green of gadgets. Beautiful. And so it, but it, but it coded the website for him. It decided what gadgets to put in there. And it is, I, I this was, this is happening as we speak now. So I don't know how far it's doing, but it, it you know, it, it started making a little trickle of money. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm pretty sure. But also it started making money because people started investing in it because everyone knew that the thread was going viral on Twitter. So it was bound to get some click through. So it became this sort of like, it ruined the experiment immediately. It was not a, it was not a, it's very good, an isolated experiment, but, um, but you know, yeah, that is one way, you know, and we saw this news with LinkedIn this week that they're now saying GPT-4 will write your user bio for you.
0: Yeah. And that LinkedIn already has prompts, like AI written prompts and then people yeah. answer it and then it generates AI written articles, What I don't know how to be a workfluencer or whatever it is on LinkedIn. Yeah. There's a whole universe of robot internet to come,
5: right? A lot of AI moons. A lot of
0: AI moons. And it's like, if you're shopping for a desk, is it, and you know what the answer is, like you have to, like, Slice your way through the AI chum that is designed to convince Google it's people, and like land it like here just by this desk or whatever. And I think that there's like a parallel human internet that will be created out of all this. This is just my this is my theory. Will
2: it just be Reddit?
0: Yeah, it's like Reddit. Like it's there's a there's another kind of social networking that is to come in particular on the internet that where people people are pretty good at spotting the chat like the chat gpt output they're better than the ai systems are detecting it and they are certainly good at spotting boring stuff which is the vast majority of what is produced yes And I, you just like, that's my optimistic take on it is that eventually it'll be more profitable for the robots to just be robots at each other. Mm. (laughs) We'll all just like hang out somewhere. We're just going to like be in a V bulletin that hasn't been updated since 2004 (laughs) and that'll be fine.
4: That's also a really good transition into the next thing we should talk about, which is Microsoft and Google. We
0: should take a break first. Yeah. We should. Let's take a break, and we'll come back. We'll talk about Microsoft and Google, and then there's a very funny tidbit about Apple uh, that we should get to as well. But we'll be right back, and we're going to talk about some actual tools here. Fox Creative. This is advertiser content from Kohler.
6: I think when we think of design, we're like, beautiful poster, gorgeous graphics. But I also think design has, like, a place in making sure that people feel the best that they can be hi i'm laura delarado i'm a group creative director at Box creative during my nine to five and my five to nine i've always got good design on the brain it's metaphorically and physically glowing it's like the aurora borealis which is exactly why i was so excited to meet the new me 2.0 kohler's smartest toilet on first introduction it legit just waved a hand at me not actual wave the him but the lid moved up and greeted me for the use but right now we're in a showroom so i can't actually use it functions like this a hands free greeting and form combined in the new me to elevate the everyday it's a sculpture that begs for someone to like rest their body on it, and walk away feeling really comfortable. A temperature-controlled bidet, the heated seat, automatic self-cleaning cycles, access to smart home functions thanks to a built-in Alexa, the Numi's got it all for everyone. The bottom has this really beautiful green glow, and it's almost as if they knew that was my special color because if you go into my bathroom at home, the entire bathroom is a mint green. It's like the new me knew that I was showing up. And what's really cool about this is that there is this like circular sphere metal piece that like allows for you to change the color on the bottom. So if I'm not in my mint green era, which I am often am, I can be in another era, my like calming blue, my like rosy pink, like whatever I need to feel. It's, it's like the Sistine Chapel of toilets. Experience a fully connected oasis of clean and comfort with the NUMI 2.0. Learn more at Kohler.com.
1: Support for the podcast comes from hymns. Look, we all need help, but for some of us guys, it can be a real challenge to be so vulnerable. There are just some things we'd rather keep to ourselves. Hims knows how you feel, which is why they're looking to provide you the help you need, discreetly. Introducing Hims, a men's healthcare product looking to provide simple and convenient access to science-backed treatments for men. The entire process is 100% online, so you can get a new routine of improving your overall health in private. If prescribed, your medication ships directly to you for free and in discreet packaging. No waiting rooms, no pharmacy visits. So while it can be tough to deal with this part of your life, it doesn't mean you have to do it alone. Start your free online visit today at hims.com/verge. That's h-i-m-s.com/verge for your personalized treatment options. Hims.com/verge. Prescription to require an online consultation with a healthcare provider who will determine if appropriate restrictions apply. See hims.com/verge for details and important safety information. Subscription required. Price varies based on product and subscription plan.
0: We are back. In addition to the GPT-4 news this week, Microsoft announced direct integration into Office products. Google announced the same. Let's start with Microsoft just because that is GPT-4. By the way, the silliest mystery in tech was solved this week. When Microsoft announced Bing, we kept asking them if it was GPT-4, and they kept intimating that version numbers were not the right way to think about it. And OpenAI would make a big decision about version, and then now it's just GPT-4, and they cop to it. (laughs) Cool mystery, Microsoft. (laughs) But James, walk us through what's happening uh, with the office products and GPT-4.
5: It's well, I mean, I don't want to say it because everyone's going to say it, but it's a souped up Clippy, right? It is a little assistant called Copilot that has a nice little logo that lives in your sidebar of whatever office app you're using. And you can give it instructions. And I, I think this is actually a pretty good, pretty good product and actually could be very useful because a lot of the stuff it's doing is tasks that in my experience, these bots actually can do quite good at. And it's things like summarizing documents. Um, It's saying, you know, you've got a a lot of meetings here and we're going to pull out the three key points. You have a presentation and we'll turn it from a Word document into a slideshow. Now, of course, the proof is in the pudding. We don't know how good this stuff is going to be until we can start using it ourselves. And we haven't been able to do that yet. We will very soon. But I think in theory, this is the sort of limited task that these systems can be quite good at. I think one of the big mistakes that we've seen in the tech world with language models is thinking they'll be good at search, but but hallucination, making up information is such a bad problem. When you point something at such a large, array of, um, of information that we're never going to get over that. Well, not never, but it's a tricky one. Whereas if you just go, if it's quite a short document, it can fit inside the context window of the um, language model, which is the amount of information it can sort of hold in its short term memory, as it were, then yeah, it, it's much less likely to make mistakes. And it probably will do some useful drudgery for you. So I think this is actually potentially really useful.
0: It's funny because hallucination is a problem in search, but it's not for your average corporate PowerPoint. It's like hallucinate a good idea for me yes. that I can tell to my boss and like Clippy <laughs> will just do it. Well, but I feel like the, the, the thing about that.
4: And I think the, the constraint that James, you're talking about is really important and is the thing that we're seeing, right? Like it seems like the first killer app, or at least the first profitable one is going to be feed this AI, some subset of our corporate data and have it make sense of it. Right? Like, Who should I invite to this meeting? What should my email say? What is this thread about? Where does this information live? Is like that is the kind of thing because it's constrained, because it's a relatively small amount of data, it's just not getting enough information from which to make a lot of really aggressive, spectacular mistakes. And they're going to be easier to catch because it is in theory information that everybody already knows. It's just doing a better job of like distilling it and organizing it for you. The thing that is amazing to me about this is like, A, I think this is going to be like a truly magical thing in Excel which is the kind of application that can do almost anything and you kind of know what you want it to do, but you don't know how to do it. And just being able to tell a thing like, hey, the thing that's in here, can you put it in all these other places too, is going to put like a bunch of TikTokers out of business immediately. Uh, but but the other thing is like i just can't stop thinking about this is like all of these companies telling on themselves where it's just like do you know how many people's job it is in the world <laughs> to take a word document and turn it into a 10 slide powerpoint presentation like a lot of people do that more or less for a living or mm. write summaries of email threads for the person that they work for like so much of modern work
0: is this stuff I mean, you know my dream, David. My dream is to arrive at a point in my career where I no longer use software at work. (laughs) And if I can just get there, I will know I have succeeded. And if that requires using invisible software just like commanding an ai to print out my emails for me and summarize them printed summaries fine. of slack 10 times a day for an eli <laughs> but as long as i'm not using a graphical user interface i will have succeeded like i'm not using some like piece of enterprise software and i'm just like yelling at a robot like it's fine yeah, it's totally fine The thing that you're saying, though, Microsoft has been at this forever. This is where Clippy came from. Yeah. They've always known the products are too complicated. They have not been able to build a natural user interface. I mean, this is like 90s Microsoft dreams. And you Mm. can, you know, Nadella is a lifer at Microsoft. He grew up in like the cloud of Bill Gates dreams that Clippy would like do it for you. And he could compete with Steve Jobs. And now he's here and he's like, here's what you do. You tell Excel to act like an accountant and develop a a business model based on these five inputs that you have and Excel will generate an Excel spreadsheet for you. And just like GPT writing Swift code to make an iOS app, Excel is a computer. Like people have built doom inside of Excel. It is a programming environment. So you've now built a natural user interface for one of the most powerful programming environments that has ever shipped at scale. And that's rad. And then over here, you've got people be like, I need to make a PowerPoint presentation about the battle of 1812 for my eighth class. <laughs> and maybe, <laughs> maybe along the way, we've destroyed the American educational system. Like who knows? But the Excel thing is really cool. So we're definitely going to do that. <laughs> yeah, it's basically right.
4: No, I think we're in this place now where like, we, we've talked a lot about kind of AI writing in general. And to me, I think the, the sort of generative writing thing is the thing that seems to click for most people first, where it's like, oh, I can have this write me a poem in the style of my favorite poet or like write my eighth grade essay for me. But I think the the thing that has jumped out to me is and especially this goes back to Microsoft, too, is like, you know, what's super boring is most work emails. And like mm. we get really precious about writing because it's like what we do for a living. Most people just need to like make a marketing brief that doesn't get them fired and need to like put all the information into a document. And I feel like all, so much of this stuff is so low stakes and so straightforward that uh, the idea of having my A.I summarize and write an email for me. Like there was one thing in Google's marketing materials where it was like, it was a whole thing. And you, you typed into the Google AI I'm on it. And it wrote this like flowery three paragraph email about like, I will prepare this information for you ahead of our next meeting. Thank you all so much for your contributions to And it's like, on the one hand that makes me want to die. On the other hand,
0: that's how people talk. And I'm telling you, man, that's the robot internet. That's you don't understand that thing where we are now sending AI generated emails to other people's AIs to decide whether that should result in a calendar invite so humans can talk to each other is just going to silo itself away. And then my dream of never using software at work will come true. Yeah, no, I think I think that thing is a victory
4: in more places than I have given it credit for. And then where you cap that before it becomes disastrous in other places is really complicated. But like if I never have to write an email again, like that's a gigantic win in my whole life. I can just, I can just type to Microsoft, like, no, I hate your guts. Never email me again. And then it can just send a nice email to someone telling them to never, like, <laughs> or <'cause it's>, you <laughs> just
0: don't do it. So this, we should talk about Google too, because Google's rolled out all this stuff too. And, yeah. and they're bringing it to Gmail, which is a direct application of this. Yep. They're bringing it to docs. Uh, docs got a, a pretty spiffy user interface update this week. You can, by the way, see how just a little competition is amazing in these markets. Like, no one had thought about what Google Docs had looked like for a decade. Microsoft was like, there's going to be a Clippy in it. And Google's like, here's this redesign. (laughs) Here it is. It looks cooler now. Here's all these new features for it. It's going to be better now. I digress. But they're rolling it out in Gmail. They're rolling it out in Docs. We have not seen a power of their model. And, James, actually, let's start with this. They, Google, Mm. opened up one of its models, Palm. But has not yeah. let us anyone really see even what its other model, Bard, can do. They have a lot of models. I don't know what the difference is between them, but what do you think of them opening up this one?
5: Well the opening up Palm um... So they have a couple of big ones, Palm and Lambda. Um, BARD is going to be built on Lambda. Palm is, a, you know, another state of the art. It's 540 billion parameters, I believe. That is more of a competition with OpenAI's uh, enterprise business, which is selling their API um, for various flavors of the GPT series and making, giving businesses the opportunity to build their own stuff on that. Google has basically said, we want to, get in on that business as well for startups to be building stuff on our language models here is the api and here is also some they release some adi- or they are going to release some additional software that is going to make processing that sort of information and integrating that easier however as with the announcements they made for for uh, workplace it is you know they, they said they're going to do it and there was this thing where they, the news went live and then someone said well yeah but if you click on the blog post and where it links to the palm api it links to another blog post that links back to the original blog post and there's nothing that says how much this costs or how you sign up for it and i i saw people getting very annoyed that like google had announced like a little labyrinth for you to click through but no actual product
0: that's the robot internet i'm telling you
5: it is but but the the, the thing that palm i don't think it's necessarily a significant thing i think it's big for their you know it'll help their cloud business uh it may win some stuff from OpenAI, but i think the consumer facing stuff is where all this is at the moment. And I I, want to sort of stress that not only do we have Microsoft writing assistants coming very soon, Google writing assistants coming very soon, they're in Slack. Salesforce put them in Slack about generating and summarizing meetings. There are dozens of startups who have AI keyboards for your phone, where you download them. And you know, it's a button that shows up next to the emoji selector, and it will write what it thinks is a response to what you just got sent. So you don't even need to switch to a browser to get chat gpt's input you can do it direct from the keyboard in your phone so i i, I you know i don't know i i feel weird about this stuff because in a way we've been introducing this technology for a while with stuff like gmail auto replies smart replies but i feel we're now at the point in 23 where there's so much of this that's going to be released simultaneously that it is going to have a real tangible difference on how we communicate one another and it's sort of similar to what you were saying eli like about how it might start you know, people might reconsider whether that email was worth sending, or what it what it's going to do. Maybe people will pick up the phone more. Maybe that will be the thing instead. We'll start because if if you want to guarantee that an AI didn't write what you just sent to your colleague, send a voice note. Well, well that's, actually, that's super easy to fake that, too. No, that, that can be <laughs> fake too, it, but it can't but, be fake with as much expression. That's what I will say for the moment.
0: That's true. My favorite genre of uh, AI TikTok right now is there's a creator who just has uh, Barack Obama, Joe Biden, and Donald Trump arguing about sound mixing
1: and guess, whether yeah.
0: some beats are good. And it yeah. is the funniest shit I have ever. I cannot get enough of it. Like yeah. Hearing Donald Trump say to Joe Biden, those beats are whack, is one of the funniest <laughs> things you can <laughs> possibly imagine. And you're like, well, deep fakes are a real problem. I'm worried about the elections. The stability of uh, yeah. like, world peace is at stake. But this was extremely funny. <laughs> and I honestly wish it was real. I just like, I, I just keep coming back to this. Like the, the Google stuff, I'll, I'll just read the list here. Yeah. Soon you will be able to draft, reply, summarize, prioritize your Gmail, brainstorm, proofread, write and rewrite in docs, auto-generated images, audio and video and slides, raw data to insights and analysis via auto-completion, formula generation in Sheets. That one seems very dangerous. These models are not good at math, like <laughs> generally. And I would not trust my business to the AI in Sheets. I would not trust your business to Sheets like <laughs> generate new backgrounds and, and notes and meet so it auto summarizes meet which many there are many startups that are doing that for zoom already mm. and then this one is just very ominous enable workflows for getting things done in chat and it's like there you go that's the one where it just it just lays off ten thousand employees on google chat for <laughs> you like, it's like so, we need to yeah. boost our margins just hit the button and the and lambda like <laughs>
2: It's actually going to force everybody back into the office. That, that's, that's what it does. It just, <laughs> like, it
0: calls here's a our new workflow for getting things done. You're coming back to the office.
2: It just drives you there itself.
0: I just, I
4: can't, I can't shake this idea that like most of this stuff doesn't need to be human. Like the the thing where... You should pick up the phone and call is like maybe what we're actually going to realize is that the email your boss sends you that is like, where is that thing? And then you send them the thing like actually never needed to have two humans involved in it (laughs) at all. That like it turns out that a vast majority of the stuff that we
0: do at work is not human it's like transactional nonsense setting up a Siri shortcut that asks you for a thing like three times a day.
4: (laughs) Can you send me that (laughs) thing? Yeah. Just, just every, and like you can start asking Bing and, and Google docs, where's that thing? And I like, I I do think the things where like there there have been the people who are getting called out for using Chat GPT to like write notes when they're leaving or notes like apologizing for layoffs. And there is this really complicated thing where it's like all of these things we've been able to assume are like written by a person. And now that you can't, the question of like what actually needs to be human, I think is way less than everything, but it's something. Mm. and i don't mm. I don't know where that lands. But to me, it's like if if we can solve this problem of transactional, commerce that we all do with each other at work all day gigantic victory uh even if it means less human to human contact i'm into it
2: this sounds like it's gonna increase it sounds like this is just gonna make that more common because everybody's gonna be like oh i'll just rely on the ai to send the email and then everybody's just sending ai emails not actually getting any playing crusader kings all day
0: instead. and then we stop emailing hooray (laughs) right and then you have a company full of robots talking to each other yeah and, and like one, one human one, one monopoly guy with a monocle <laughs> just collecting the profits from his affiliate website that is only trafficked by fraud bots and everyone else is on like a v bulletin from 2004 yeah like there's a thing like that and i don't want to sound too much like the boss because as this group will tell you i hate meanings and process more mm. than anyone at the entire company mm, it's true uh and it is my goal very much to never use software again but the business that you're talking about david is like that's how you make friends at work right like this thing where you like send each other emails or go to meetings or like just like be useful to someone else is what builds you the trust so you can like do the next thing together and that's actually the thing like the combo platter of i have five remote jobs most of which are being performed by ai and i'm just like a brain in a vat waiting for the one thing that requires my, like, a, the, like a human to do is just a weird outcome of all of this and like maybe yeah. it's not you know Chat GPT turns us on to paperclips. I mean, it's just like we willingly turn ourselves into paperclips. Yeah. While like business is done by robots.
4: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I would I would quibble with the idea that those are the only two options. Uh, that,
5: that either I have to
4: keep sending email or I become a paperclip. Look, uh, those are your two like, choices. Do you want the job or not? Eli, what if the outcome of this is we get three martini lunches back? Like, we can all go drink yeah. for several hours in the middle of the day. Four because day week, our work is done. Week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. And, and I guess part of the, and it, this comes back to, like, where is that line, right? And, like, what is, what of work is required to be human is not really a question we've ever had to answer because... At some functional level, it has all had to be human, even taking your Word doc and turning it into a PowerPoint. But that is like massively going away very quickly.
2: I don't agree with that. I think we've been careening towards this for a very long time. Like we were all having to take those courses. I say that. Maybe we weren't. James, I don't know how they do things in the UK. But we had to like take a course <laughs> three in. Three martini high school. lunches. Yeah, three Martini <laughs> lunches in, in like first grade. But you had to take like a course in school where you had to learn how to use Word, you had to learn how to use yeah. Excel, you had to learn how to use all of these things and all of the tools. Mm-hmm. And then you would go to your job and and like, I think we've been, we've been at that place where we're interacting with the computers, where we're not interacting with people for a very long time. And when, where there's a lot of processes, there's a lot of busy work around like the actual jobs. And what we've seen yeah. again and again and again, is that when we create these things, we don't get more martini lunches. We get people being paid less because, oh, robots can do this. So you don't need to be as knowledgeable and your skills no longer as, are as valuable. So like, I'm sure this will create other new forms of jobs, right? Like Neila, I think you were talking when we were at Slack the other day about how there's AI prompt engineers who are going and figuring yes. out how to do these engineering prompts and stuff and stuff. So like it's gonna we're gonna see other things come out of this that are really, really good. But I do not think this is suddenly going to give everybody their time back. I think it's just going to reallocate their time in hopefully less miserable ways.
0: Right. So David's positive case there yeah. is that we'll reallocate our times towards more useful creative work.
2: In three martini right. lunches. My
0: three martini lunches, like being creative or like yeah. making better product ideas or like whatever it is. And the sort of drudgery of operating the company will go away. My negative case is there like are no jobs left. The drudgery <laughs> is like a necessary component of working together. And if you remove that, then everyone's just showing up sauced on three martinis, being like, I have a great idea. I have no idea how to execute it because I've never actually done any work. And that's just like a weird place to be. Yeah. And then you kind of get this like automated LinkedIn affiliate SEO scheme. That this is like the real economy. <laughs> it's like a house of cards. That's I think that's the negative case. It's somewhere. It's obviously somewhere in the middle. By yeah. the way, you definitely started out being like Google is adding a chatbot to Gmail. And we ended with it's either paperclips or gray goo. And you just got to pick. <laughs> <laughs>
2: that's like, that's just the natural trajectory. Anytime you get AI into the conversation you just spin it there immediately you can't help yeah. it like we as people can't help it
4: wait but before we switch away from this James can i ask you i want i want to follow up on one thing that you said a few minutes ago and sure. i i want to know if i heard you correctly i think what you said is all of the heat in ai right now is around consumer stuff and like regular people stuff do you actually think that's true like is that going to be the most interesting space
5: yeah because i i think the research the research side we have just not caught up with this at all like that there is so much research at the moment that we haven't yet productized that a lot of attention is going into that. If you go on um, the subreddits for like our machine learning, what you will see right now is a lot of people who work on natural language processing. This is the field that underlies language models in universities going, well, our job is useless now, literally. I mean, I, I need to write a story about this because there are a lot of people in academia despairing because what they do um, has now been outclassed by GPT-4. And they're now going, why would we ever bother to continue this research? Because this huge corporate commercial lab has done it better than us. So I I think we're just catching up with this stuff. I, there is obviously, there is super, there is more interesting stuff coming down the pike. Audio generation is one, video generation is another. That's really going to mess stuff up yep. or it's really going really going to cause a lot of weird stuff. But I think we kind of have enough to be going on with in order to sort of integrate all this new technology into society. And I don't want to say, I, I sort of, out of everyone here, I am nearer to Alex's stance on this, in terms of what the effects of this productivity software will be on our lives. Because I think, has there ever been a year in my life when I got less email than the previous year? No. <laughs> you know, I, think, I think people just create this work for themselves when it's not very necessary. Um, and that is unfortunately how a lot of you know the corporate life is structured. So I, I I sort of agree that it, people will use this to be careless about messages they send to people rather than be careful, but it's a balance. We'll work it out.
0: Well, you just got to find something harder, you know, like my, my work Gmail is a wasteland, you know, but there are yeah. people get through to me on channels that are not nearly as automated. And I think that's just like fascinating, like in a, a deep level sending me an email is at once the most personal and like Highly valued piece of communication that anyone can do. And it's the most versatile Mm. in many ways. It is also the, I am just inclined to ignore the vast majority of it because that's what the flood of automated email messages that I get has trained me to do. Yes. And like the tricks that people play, I don't know if this happens to, to other people. It certainly happens to us as journalists. The tricks people play to get our attention in email, like the robots have picked up on them. And like, I just get calendar invites, yeah, or like emails that are like, "I'm following up." Like, you haven't responded to mm-hmm. my last email, and it works like a lot of the time. Where I'm like, "Did I? Are they mad? No, they're just uh, lying. The robots just lying to me."
2: That's the one I forget. Anytime somebody says, "I've been, fo- I'm following up. You didn't respond to my last one," I'm like, "That's a lie." I never looked at your first one. I don't care about any
0: of your emails. Delete. I don't care about anyone. How could I care about you?
2: <laughs> Find a better way to communicate with me. Goodbye.
0: Right, I want to end on this note. Uh, so we talked about Microsoft Workplace software. We talked about uh, Google Workplace software, where OpenAI is going with the chat stuff. This is obviously, for better or worse, paperclips are goo. This is the future of most interfaces to software, right? We can see the sort of natural language component it's just it's taken off in like everyone's imaginations the companies are racing towards it the the people consumers like know about it we're seeing people use it in ways that are unexpected joe biden has strong thoughts about audio mixing apple is like woefully behind and so the times this week had a piece about Siri Alexa and Google Assistant how they're all about a decade old they were supposed to do this in 2016 we ran an entire piece about chatbots and the future of the internet like We lived through this cycle before the technology was ready or that this technology really existed in this form. And the way they architected this technology did not allow it to become this. And really, it's the part where it can respond to any query being creative. But here's the line that jumped out at me from this piece, which is good and worth reading because it's just a good recap of what went wrong. At Apple's headquarters last month, the company held its annual AI summit, an internal event for employees to learn about its life, about its large language model and other ai tools said two people who reached on the program many engineers including members of the siri team have been testing language generating concepts every week so we're all at oh man google's so far behind because they haven't just let anyone talk to bart or whatever and apple's just still testing it and like siri's still a joke it's like not very useful at all James, do you think this is a, a, just a matter of replacing the Siri backend with some LLM and Apple sprinting ahead? Or is, do you have to do something more, more drastic to compete?
5: Well, I, I mean, I, I think I disagree a little bit with the premise of your, que- of your question because you, you're, you're saying that we're now secured that this is the future of interface, that it is going to be conversational. I don't think we've yet worked that out for sure. I think this year is going to be the year of testing and it's going to be the year of norms changing and we're going to work out where, we're going to have to find out because we're not using it yet. It looks very good. It might work. It also might still be kind of awkward and clumsy to use and it might be the fact that these natural language interfaces are only used in very specific things. And actually people still want to click around. They still want to tap menus. They still want to get that precision of control and that speed of control. Um, So I I sort of disagree that this is necessarily the future of computer interfaces, whether Apple can catch up. Yeah, I I think they can. I mean, like, you know, the, the work that they've, they've done some really interesting small bits of work around this, like um, creating a, 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 a custom version of Stable Diffusion and AI Image Generator to work directly on Apple Silicon. We've, like, w- we can't yet get Apple, we can't get yet, sorry, get langu- AI language models working on a phone locally right they're still too big they need to be compressed a little bit more in size when that is available that's i think when apple can make that switch because right now it all needs to be sent off to the cloud and if apple is going to stick with everything it has in terms of marketing about privacy keeping it local under your control they're going to want to do this stuff locally so I, i think they they will be able to catch up when this becomes a possibility but actually ios is their biggest platform it's their most important one that's where they need to get this stuff working. And I don't think it's it's not technically possible just yet to get it working locally, so i I don't think they've yet lost a lot of ground necessarily they they, they will be able to catch up I think
4: yeah I, I would argue one of the biggest mistakes that uh, you know Alexa Siri, and Google Assistant have in common was betting everything on voice as a primary mm-hmm. thing, one because voice is really hard speech to text is really hard text to speech is really hard, natural language processing is really hard, so like just starting with a chatbot is actually like a necessarily easier computational problem to solve. But then also all these companies said, voice is going to be everything. You're going to live your life with microphones and speakers. And like that turned out not to be at all, even remotely true for all the reasons you're talking about, James, like people like to click people like to look. And when it's like, okay, I have a, I'm going to yell at my screen, but then it's going to show me something on it. Like that doesn't actually make any sense. So what, what chatbots did is just like take a UI affordance that people understand and use all the time and give it back to them. And I think, like, Satya Nadella is quoted in this Times piece, or right? he said something, and they quote him in this Times piece. He says something to the effect of, voice assistants are dumb as rocks, which yeah. is like a really easy thing to say when your company made Cortana, like, congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. But I, I don't I don't agree with that assessment. It's just that we, all these companies did them wrong. Yeah. Uh, but I don't think that, fundamentally, the science underneath them has gotten drastically better over time, and I think it is much more of an interface problem for a lot of these companies than a tech problem at this point.
0: Let me just call out that in the height of the Siri versus Google assistant wars, our dear friend, Paul Miller, who used to be a co-host on the show complained vociferously that he couldn't just type to these assistants and no one listened to him. So yeah, they should have shout out to Paul. <laughs> yeah. He uh, called Paul. that one. Uh, but I don't think it is just a matter of, uh, the underlying technology or they built it wrong, right? If you swap out the model and let Siri answer any question, you do still have the, do you type to it or do you talk to it problem? Mm. And I would wager that if you asked most people, okay, you can either type in a command to your phone or you can look at it and say, take a photo of the moon and it'll just do it for you. (laughs) Most people are like, I just want to, I just want to tell it things, right? I've got this Star Trek communicator around me all the time. I just want to tell it to do stuff. And that's what Siri was supposed to do. That was the promise of it. And now you potentially have to swap out its entire architecture and build a model that runs locally because you're Apple and all this stuff. But you can see how you can glue those concepts together Mm. and you might end up actually being like for the first time in quite a while, being able to rethink what the interface of a phone is. I'll bring up uh, another Virgcast favorite, uh, Bixby the dog, uh, Samsung's assistant uh, where the promise was you would be able to change the settings on the phone. Yeah. Right. You would be able to say, uh, Hey, like, I don't want to get text messages between eight and midnight tonight. Just do it. And Bixby would like adjust the do not disturb settings on the phone. That did not work. Uh, I think we made Bixby more famous than Samsung ever managed to take credit <laughs> for that. It's dog wearing shoes. Um, but if it could, that is actually a good idea. Right. And like, it's these models that would actually enable something like that to happen in some way. And I, that's the convergence. And I just think it's very funny that the Apple's, privacy stance in many ways prevents it from happening right now right they've got to increase the processing power of the phone to make that happen locally
5: Mm. and i want to say that that is a a use case that gpt4 specifically enables because it can um process image alongside text input it's it's perfectly positioned to to have that sort of control over the over the operating system that is also what a lot of the AI safety researchers worry most about, because at that point you are no longer constraining the system's activities to a little box, to generating text. Mm. You are now saying, you can take control of my computer and you can make actions on my behalf, whether that is buying something on the internet, whether that is selling something. Um, and I think that is where the safety problems really come back into it again, because you're like, okay, how do I limit, how do I, how do I balance Making this thing respond to my commands in a way that doesn't have the same problems as past voice interfaces, which is when you tell it to do something and it doesn't know how. How do you balance giving it that control with not letting it become out of control as well? So, yeah, that's another problem, but that is something that is technically feasible on the near horizon and is going to change very soon.
0: And I will say that in the commercial context, already deployed at the scale of multi billion dollar companies, right? Like UiPath is. Mm. A robotic process automation company that basically just builds computer vision systems, AI systems that use like Windows 3.1 machines to do hospital billing on their behalf, because it's easier to have our AI control your Windows 3.1 system than it is to replace your Windows 3.1 system.
6: Yeah.
0: And so, in in another context, and I'll, uh, Daniel Dines, the CEO of UiPath, was on Decoder. Go listen to that episode because we talk about or at what point are you just? Is it just robots talking to robots? And he was like, I don't know, making a lot of money, Um, but he was very thoughtful. Like he, he knows he's building kind of a weird closed loop. And so it's already happening there. And you can see how this brings it to this context outside of the constraint of the person who's interested in using this is a hospital insurance administrator. And that's usually when things get sideways, hospital insurance administrators, very safe. They should have all the AI tools. All right, we are we are cruising our way to a two-hour show, which David promised me that we would not do. <laughs> James, thank you so much for coming on. We got to take a break. Thank you. There's a bunch of stuff in the lightning round that we should get to when we come back. But James, thank you so much.
5: My pleasure. My pleasure.
3: Support for this show comes from Fiverr, the world's largest marketplace for freelance services. In the fast paced world of business, every decision counts. And when it comes to hiring, there's no room for guesswork. That's why Fiverr has developed solutions for businesses to make outsourcing projects simple, quick, and compliant you can gain access to curated talent through fiverr pro's catalog of top freelancers organized by skill and experience streamline your projects with a user-friendly dashboard where you can track progress and collaborate with your team and for anyone needing the highest level of white glove service fiverr pro's project partners can manage multiple freelancer engagements for you Project partners will outline requirements, assemble a roster of freelancers, and manage a schedule to ensure your deliverables are completed on time. Ready to scale smarter? Visit pro.fiverr.com to sign up and use code VOX for 15% off any service. That's pro.fiverr, dot and use code VOX. We're
0: back we got a lightning round. Honestly, I could just talk about the, the trailer for the Blackberry movie for the next 20 minutes if you want me to.
2: 45 minutes. Go.
0: <laughs> Let's talk about it. <laughs> so there's a new movie called Blackberry. I've seen it.
4: Did I tell you this? I've seen it.
0: When did you see it? You I monster- watched it on
4: Monday in my hotel room at South by Southwest. Is it? We're going to have more to talk about it on this show at some point in the next few weeks. I also interviewed Matt Johnson, the director, about the movie. We had a very good time. We're going to run I- that. how are you telling me this now we should have called me right away i like to bring surprises to the verge (laughs) casting oh my god is it great it's great it's it's liam has also seen it liam i don't know if you have thoughts but i most tech movies are bad i would say is like my general stance on tech movies um this one is not bad it's like weird and funny and enjoyable and also lands in sort of an unusual place about blackberry it's like it doesn't just tell the, like, Apple showed up with the iPhone and a bunch of Canadian idiots didn't see it coming <laughs> and goodbye BlackBerry. Uh, the story, like, is more complicated than that and uh, lands that way. And it's a very good movie. Everybody should see it.
0: It's based on a book that I loved uh, when it came out called Losing the Signal, the untold story behind the extraordinary rise and spectacular fall of BlackBerry. Excellent book title. Excellent I feel like book that title really set the stage, <laughs> like, the formula for almost every tech book title to come. <laughs> That book was great when it came out in like t- 2012, 13. We had a big feature that we re-promoted in 2012 about the fall BlackBerry. The wave of nostalgia that I felt. Do you remember the BlackBerry Storm came out? We all thought they were going to take it to the iPhone. Yeah. Did we? Uh, these are like our early days. Like we were
4: children. My favorite though was the, the storm came out and it was like, this is, this is the time, this is coming. And then my distinct memory is the first time, I think this happened to everyone. You, you held a BlackBerry storm in your hand for one second and you went, oh, nope, never mind <laughs> <laughs> This ain't it.
0: <laughs> like the whole thing clicks. The whole <laughs> screen clicked. They thought that was a <laughs> big innovation because they wanted to bring the keyboard back and it was a full touchscreen Yeah. But it was, I think the, in particular the BlackBerry devices and their sort of failed attempts to compete with the iPhone which is not what this movie is about, but the, that for me was when I realized it was not the hardware that was important, The hardware is important. And if you listen to the show, you know, I think hardware is very important, but it was like, they didn't change the software. They thought that people just wanted a touchscreen. Yeah. Yeah. And no one actually cared about the touchscreen. And that was, it was just a very formative moment in this trailer, just watching this trailer. If you're a longtime time fan, go watch this trailer and it will just bring you back to that entire moment which was super exciting it's like where we came from that's enough nostalgia but go watch the trailer and then David when we're done with this you tell me everything about this movie in Great detail. deal what? the movie comes out in what May so we, you know, it's, it's coming out soon early May
4: if you're in Canada it comes out before then of course uh, but yeah we're we're gonna have we, we interviewed Matt we're gonna have him on the show uh, um, I think sometime in April
0: you know in the United States it comes out in May exclusively on Verizon <laughs>
4: <laughs> And and if you if you pay to see it you will eventually get
0: your money back <laughs> <laughs> That's the worst joke I've ever told on the show. <laughs> Bad joke, Dave. Okay? Extremely strange bit of news from TikTok. So I think a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the House passed a bill that would in- allow the Biden administration to ban TikTok. That obviously created leverage for the Biden administration. Now the Biden administration is saying, look, you either sell it or we're going to use this power that we have. And TikTok, it's, this reporting is weird. So it first broke in the Wall Street Journal, and then it was confirmed by the New York Times. But TikTok won't say it out loud. Like they said it to those two newspapers and they will not respond to any comments from anyone else. The White House isn't talking. But you can see what is happening here is that there's so much bipartisan concern about the Chinese ownership of TikTok that the Biden administration was given this leverage and now they are using it. And the funny thing is, like, this is exactly what Trump wanted. Yeah. Right. He was like mad at TikTok because the rumors about his rally not selling out or whatever. And he's like, I'm going to ban it. And they try to ban it. And there's this whole thing where Microsoft almost bought it and they were going to sell it to Oracle. And then we backed that off because the process there was bad, right? The the procedure of the government being mad at you, and then you have to destroy your business was bad. Right. The president is mad. <laughs> now you have to sell your business. It's like not a good uh, operating principle for our government. But the outcome that we're about to land on is the same, right? Which is we now have done all this process and there's this whole plan and there's Project Texas and Oracle data centers, and we're still like yeah, that's weird. You've got to sell, and I bet Oracle ends up applying it anyway. I would agree. Like that, they, they certainly seem to be the the
4: leader in the clubhouse to be the ones who buy it at this point. But it also seems like if we've gotten to this point, is there anything left for TikTok to do to convince anybody that it is above board? Even like I, I should say, I sincerely have no idea. Like there are lots of very smart people who argue in both directions. TikTok has gone way out of its way for years to talk about where it stores its data and how the corporate governance works and all this stuff. I don't know, and I'm not convinced that anybody does. But it does seem like we are past the point where, like, the the CEO of TikTok is coming to D.C. to testify to Congress next week, and I literally cannot imagine what he would say that would convince anybody of anything at this point.
2: I moment. don't think he can say anything because the, the general consensus in, like, The intelligence community is that if your company is based in China, you are a Chinese company and they have access to all of your data, regardless of where you put it and everything else, because that's how China works. It doesn't matter if you're Oppo. It doesn't matter if you're ByteDance, parent company of TikTok. If you are based, if you're Huawei, if you're based in China, China has its fingers all over your data, all over your infrastructure. And that's like the general consensus of the majority of the intelligence community. So- if around the world, not change, just in the U.S. Yeah, around yeah. the world, not just in the U.S. I've spoken with experts like in Canada about this as well. And if they're all saying that, then I think it's a really difficult thing for for TikTok to do to convince you, because how you can say it all day long. Oh, definitely. I do not give my data to China, but there's no proof of that. And There's no way you can prove that. It's just a big broken trust issue. And it's it's larger. It's part of that larger problem of nobody trusts China. Right so now.
0: one notable exception to that assessment, which is 100% accurate, yeah. is Apple. Is Apple. Apple does a lot of business in China.
2: Mm-hmm. They
0: have, right, they've turned over the iCloud servers in China to a state-controlled entity. Yes. They obviously manufacture the phones there. And they seem to have just, it never comes up. <laughs> like, it just.
2: They're not based in China, though. So they they have part of their company is in China. And that part of the company is very tightly bound with China. But the American company is not based, like. It's an American yeah, company. I, it's the same with like AMD and stuff. Like, there's a lot of companies that do significant business in China, and we tend to give them a pass because oh, you're based in the U.S. And, like, it's a little bit of xenophobia that drives all of this, and it is to, to the intelligence like conversation. It's definitely xenophobia is part of this, right? But yeah, I just don't see how anybody can kind of get out of that. If you're a Chinese based company, you're always going to yeah. be fighting this battle.
4: Well, and it is true, Eli, that if you if you play the argument that is being used against TikTok all the way out, why shouldn't we be looking at the companies who manufacture things at Foxconn? Like, remember that big Bloomberg story about the tiny chips that were being embedded in things that turned out to probably not be true? Like, God only knows, who knows? that story. One of the one of the truly weirdest moments in tech reporting, Bloomberg drops this big Business Week cover story and every company that never likes to talk about anything comes back, comes out and is like, nope, not that. But like, if you're going to scrutinize these things based on the idea that if you have any connection to the Chinese government, there is probably a way for the Chinese government to influence your business and your company and your users. Like, you're kind of right yeah. that there is no end to that. That eventually consumes the entire tech industry.
2: Well, I think yeah. I mean that's one of the reasons we're seeing a lot of tech companies say we're moving out of China. We're move we're we're fo- we're looking to India to manufacture iPhones and stuff. Everybody wants looking to show,
4: being the operative word. Looking right, yeah. they're going to be looking. Everybody's for really years. interested in the idea.
2: Yeah, they're they're just hoping this all blows over. Like I think that's part of it, but at the same time, there is a f- there is definitely like a functional difference between Apple doing business in China and bite dance being based in China. Because Oh, I don't disagree. Yeah. I'm just
0: saying that functional difference is kind of not well defined. Well and one if can they, be kidnapped
2: it, by the government and held until they pay taxes. Tim Cook, well, I think, I mean, would have Apple, a more. Apple owns
0: how many seats permanently on however many flights to China every day. Like, well, or that's like true. China, The yeah. Chinese government can can destroy Apple's business. Tomorrow. Or Tesla. Tesla is a good example of this too. Right. And right,
4: everybody has talked about like the way that Elon Musk is running Twitter could change the way that Tesla operates in China. It's like all this stuff just is tangled, and yeah. it, it like I, I don't know how you pick which one to be mad about at
0: some point. So we'll see. I i just this was supposed to be lightning round, and we're like deep into international relations. <laughs> Sorry, but we'll see. And I think this ban, again, it will just it will set off a conversation on where that line is. Mm-hmm. And right now it feels like we know, right? Some things are owned by Chinese companies and some things are owned by American companies. But if you're like, this threat is so big that we will shut down a thing on the scale of TikTok because there's political will on both sides. And also, what politician does not want to go home in an election year and tell parents we <laughs> shut down TikTok? so i think there's there's quite a lot to come here but we'll see how this hearing goes next week uh mckenna is going to be there i think that we're sending becca with her to make a video about the, about the hearing stay tuned
4: can we talk about better tiktok news really fast before we get off of tiktok yeah tiktok launched my favorite thing to exist on a social media platform in a very long time which it's calling refresh and the idea is basically you can go into your tiktok settings and you can say all the things that you have learned about me that are, govern what i see on my for you page Never mind. Let's just start from scratch and build this up again. And I want this on every single algorithmic feed that exists. Yeah. Like, my YouTube has been absolutely overrun by people telling me what gadgets to put on my desk because <laughs> of like one story I wrote and one, admittedly, like months long obsession that I had. And my TikTok for you page is only like, I'm not kidding, only videos of Maddie Healy, the lead singer of the 1975, oh singing oh caroline on saturday night live like like two out of three videos are different angles of that same thing and i just want a thing that is like i get it this was great we had a good run let's start over and like thank you tiktok for saying letting me letting me pull myself out of this hell that i have
0: brought myself into But don't you want to be able to save your old algorithm that's the one thing that this feature needs that's a good idea just save whoever i was two years ago And I'm going to start over and be a new person. That's fun.
4: That's like on Spotify. I I start a new playlist on the first day of every month. And then every song I come across that I just kind of sort of like, I just dump in there. Oh, that's cool. And so I can go back to like my, you know, July 2017 playlist and it just like instantly transport me back. That would be so fun to do on these services. It's like, who was I? Yeah. When this was my algorithm, it was just new girl
0: clips and office bloopers, yeah, exactly. <laughs> the depths of my algorithm in like lockdown, were dark, <laughs> just, uh, no good how um, to make sourdough starter was exactly. a long run that I had. Yeah, it was just a real, anyway, that's all. That's my only request for, for TikTok. Let me save the algorithm. We talked a bunch about net neutrality last week, the FCC, Gigi Sone, we kind of has a story this week. Biden's just like running out of time to add a fifth commissioner to the FCC so they can bring back net neutrality. There's actually a lot of action on that front, right? With these state bills that would block like in Texas, a state bill that would block any abortion information on the internet in Texas. Crazy stuff. It'd be good to have a federal net neutrality law at this time. Biden's just fully running out of time because of his disaster with Gigi Sohn. We've got more on that story to come. And then on sort of the same note, uh, Ryan Reynolds owns Mint Mobile, which is a T-Mobile and VNO, so they just resell T-Mobile's network, but for cheaper prices and funnier advertising. T-Mobile is just going to buy it. The number is for up to 1.35 billion, depending on some escalator clauses. On the one hand, you could argue this doesn't reduce competition because it's all just T-Mobile and you're all just running on T-Mobile in the end. On the other hand, you're like, oh, there was a challenger brand. To ATT, right? And now they're just going to go away. And it's like, we just get ourselves to have any competition in mobile service in this country. Like, whenever there's the barest whiff of it, we're like, nah, let somebody buy it. Uh, Liam, I need you to turn on your camera and unmute your microphone. Liam is a longtime
4: Mint Mobile customer. I need, I need to know your feelings, Liam. It's time. This is your moment. You've been preparing for this all week. <laughs>
1: Fine. I'm not camera ready. Uh, I've been a Mint Mobile customer for eight years. Uh, as someone who used to be in the freelance world, it's an especially attractive service because uh, you can pay by the year. And that's one of the few companies I can think of that let you do that. I've also been like shocked at how good the service is on Mint. Uh, it's better than it should be. Sure, when I go visit my folks in Atlanta, Georgia, it's sometimes flaky, but for the most part, I like to say you get like 90% of the coverage for like 20% of the cost of going to one of the three big ones. Uh, so kind of furious at Ryan Reynolds. At, like most people, I mean, like most people in this country, I think he's an, just, a, just a lovable guy. How could you not like Ryan Reynolds? But now it's um, his fault, if Ryan Reynolds were involved yeah. in a car crash, I wouldn't be that upset about it. <laughs> 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 wow! wow. wow. I right. harsh words
2: for Deadpool. You know what?
0: Ryan Reynolds would appreciate that joke. I've got to be honest. He, would. With he you. would. I think he'd be yeah. fine with it. He's going to make a commercial about that joke. We are supposed to have four national wireless carriers in this country. One of them is so irrelevant that systems have been crashed for weeks. Yeah, is Dish still down? I should and check. We <laughs> are <laughs> the <laughs> only site that covers it. That's how irrelevant mm-hmm. this company is. Like the, it's like negative competition. And then even the, even the little MVNO competitor that managed to make a name for itself is not getting swallowed up. We're just horrible at this. Americans pay more money for slower speeds than anywhere else. In the Wait, world. can I can I read you
4: just in the spirit of I'm just going to do this every week now I'm going to read you the notice at the top of Dish's website. Uh, <laughs> it says, thank you for the, your interest in Dish TV. Your needs are important to us. We appreciate your patience at this time while our teams are working hard to update our full website and get services back up to help
3: you. No
0: one gives a shit. <laughs> Can you imagine if AT and T was down for this long? Right, like there'd be hearings. Oh man, <laughs> like more, like a, no one cares. This is supposed to be the fourth competitor to AT and T Mobile and Verizon in this country, uh, and now they're. Anyway, whatever we i'm gonna just set up my own renegade network like in palm of the volume and the fcc is gonna have to drive around in vans trying to find me <laughs> 19 dollars a month you also get a bag of moon crystals
4: okay so the other thing i want to talk about just while we're doing lightning round stuff here is uh emmett Shear, the ceo of twitch just suddenly He's and done. summarily resigned from twitch uh just like dropped the mic in, in a blog post and left this doesn't seem to be White as sort of earth shattering a thing as when Susan Wojcicki left YouTube, whatever that was a few weeks ago now. Uh, But this is still a big moment. He's been running Twitch for a long time up through the Amazon acquisition. Twitch is huge. He is like he he is the face of Twitch in every he was running it before
2: it was Twitch when it was still justin.tv. Yeah, that's right. He's
0: been doing this for ages.
4: What was it, 16 years, I think he said?
0: Yeah. And they sold it to Amazon for less than a billion dollars in 2014 which is just amazing to think about in the context of all yeah. the deals now. And so it's not like a buyout situation, yeah. right? Like usually those are three, four five year deals. This is, he's been at it. Um, I'm cu- very curious. I mean, he, he basically, he wrote the thing where he's like, the company's my kid and now it's time for the kid to go to college, which people say a lot. Which I mean, you always... look at this and like chat GPT could have written this, <laughs> right? Like it's not that far off. We'll get more color. There's a new CEO at Twitch, Dan Clancy. Obviously, this thing's still owned by Amazon. I don't think there's going to be any meaningful disruption there, but another sign of the time, right? That's Susan Wojcicki leaving YouTube, uh, Emmett leaving Twitch. That generation of tech leaders is, is moving on. Uh, okay, real lightning round stuff. The real lightning round. Now, 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 the fake lightning round, which was not swift at all, is over. The real one. Now, onto the real lightning round. Alex Heath interviewed the co president of Spotify, Gustav Soderstrom, on Decoder. He said, Spotify hi fi is still coming at some point. And then Chris Welch did a little bit of extra reporting. The thing has been ready. Spotify employees have had Hi-Fi for a long time. It's Apple and Amazon blew up the entire cost structure of lossless and Hi-Fi music and by giving away for free. So Spotify right. can't figure out how to charge for it. So it's ready. The business model is not ready. <laughs> Amazing. That's, you just described Spotify. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, basically. Uh, Wemo, the Belkin smart home brand, they announced a bunch of matter stuff last year at CES. This year, waiting for more. They're done. Uh, we have a little scoop. They're done. Alex, this is yeah, your story. Yeah. Um, a me?
2: freelancer hit me up and said, hey, I think Wemo just accidentally announced to me that they're done with, with Matter for the time being. And so they said, they, they confirmed they are taking a step back. They are not planning to update anything that's already out there to support Matter. They're not planning to release anything on Matter. They just kind of want to wait and see. And the general consensus from folks we spoke with like all around um is it probably is something that's a lot of people in the industry are worried about which is becoming a commodity and not having anything special having to being belkin and having to compete with like these tiny tiny companies making light switch smart light switches so they're like ours isn't going to be any different from theirs why should we even be in this business step
0: back because you could make one that's better and works better i guess I don't they don't to,
2: i guess they disagree if anyone
0: from belkin is listening to the to this i just I believe in you and the garbage ones will be garbage and (laughs) fall off the network and restart and sometimes just die. And you can make a good one that you charge slightly more money for. I think, didn't you just describe
4: every platform and protocol war there has ever been where it's like, everybody's (laughs) like, what if we build open things? And somebody's like, I don't really feel like competing with that. I'm going
0: to build my own thing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, this has been here. the story of the smart home, right? Is they've yeah. all been in these weird little ecosystems. I will say that I own a bunch of Wemo stuff. I own a bunch of iHome stuff, whatever. Are we losing anything? Mm-hmm. <laughs> do people love these products? I don't. But Belkin, I believe in you. Yeah. I, just look at me. I believe in you.
2: Just right in his
0: eyes. You can make good stuff that people will pay slightly more money for. You can do it. uh Okay. That's, that's it. I hope the CEO of Belkin is listening. <laughs> we're in the midst of what I would say is a personally devastating football news cycle Mm -hmm. uh, for me. Uh, But YouTube TV has the rights to Sunday ticket and they have, they've been promising multi-view for sports for a long time. They've started testing it. You can watch four games at once. You can see how this is just going to be for Sunday ticket when it happens. Yeah.
4: It's for a, like specific set of things in a specific set of ways. You don't get to really choose it. It's like the least multi-view you could do while still being multi-view. And also, I don't know if you saw, but while we were recording this, YouTube TV announced it's raising its prices another $8 to $72.99. Oof. So it's just cable now. It's just, it's just full cable. And
0: this is the world in which we live. It's so funny. That's so sad. <laughs> and I'm going to pay for it because they have Sunday ticket. Yep. <laughs> that's how they get you <laughs> that's, how that's gonna work david you looked at the camo app which I, I think i agreed with you in reading your piece i thought continuity cam on the mac would get rid of it this is the app that lets you use a, an iphone as a webcam but you said the new one's pretty good it's just it's power user continuity camera basically right like the the
4: thing that apple likes to do is try to make everything work sort of magically and simply and what that means is not giving you any options or any controls. It either just kind of works or it doesn't. And continuity cameras, to its credit, works more than it doesn't, but you don't get a lot of control over how it looks or the lighting or something like that. And camo just jumps in and is like, oh, would you like to choose which lens you use and how much you zoom and how much exposure you have and what the lighting looks like? And you can do all of that. Uh, I'm using it right now. So if you're watching on YouTube, you can be the judge of how it looks. But I, it's, it's great. It's expensive. Uh, it's 40 bucks a year or $80 once, which is too much money for what it is. Like if you're not a person who records and publishes video all the time, it's probably overkill. But it really, like for for the purpose, it does serve. It does it really, really well. I'm a fan.
0: Do I get a free upgrade? I bought it. I bought the lifetime last time. Do I get an upgrade or do yes you it again? I'm pretty sure if
4: you bought the lifetime, when you get free right. upgrades, oh, that's nice. I bought a one year subscription that I let lapse, and I got it cheaper. So, I, but I think if you buy the lifetime, if you don't, that feels like bad advertising on their part i don't know
0: i only use it when i have to like be on television on the road uh and it is fine but uh it's also because i refuse to upgrade my mac os i'm on an every other year cycle and i'm sorry this year isn't it so camo cam it is (laughs) uh all right the last story another one of the i would say top 10 verge ideas verge stories that we've encountered recently uh, the CEO of Match Group, which is the company <laughs> that owns every dating app in the world except for Bumble, I think. That's, yeah, and, that's and, like barely an exaggeration. Yeah. Uh, and I think they're suing Bumble, so <laughs> it's going great. But they own Tinder, they own uh, OK
2: Cupid, I think.
0: Match, they own OK Cupid. We we covered them a lot when Ashley Carmen is here. We we did a lot of coverage of this one company, how big it is. Um, but they've got a new CEO, Bernard Kim, and he was at a summit. And he's an ex-gaming CEO. And he was talking about why it's worth money spending. He was talking about why it's worth it to spend money on Tinder. And he was like, well, people spend a lot of money on games. And here's the quote. He says, no one plays these games forever. After a certain point, people churn out of a game experience. I've personally spent $50,000 in three months on Clash of Clans. And I look back on that with a lot of shame. I'm like, what did I really get out of that experience? Nothing other than, like, a really amazing wall, which is not cool. And then he's like, but I paid for Tinder, and now I have a life. (laughs) Which, in a generation of CEOs that might be mobile gaming whales, is an incredible thing to think about. Wow. And
4: that's, like, you would think when somebody says something like $50,000 in three months on Clash of Clans is, like, a super exaggeration. Not an clearly not an exaggeration. Like my man clearly spent fifty thousand dollars.
0: I just, just he spent the money. This is the follow-up <laughs> quote. Now look at what can come out of Tinder. You meeting your wife. That's an immeasurable reward. Something that will last a lifetime. Something that will lead to unbelievable happiness. Maybe sometimes despair, but at least you're feeling something wow <laughs> like, this is just evil shit i've ever heard this is at a conference but, but it's wrapped up in this dude being a clash of clans whale he's oh. apple services line 30 percent of that clash of clans money went to apple services revenue uh the best part about the story is that mitchell kept reducing the denominator of the map so he started with $50,000 in three years. And then he was like, it's $16,666 a month. And then he's like, it's $555
4: a day. <laughs> but you know what is happy and is worth $555 a day, Eli?
0: Look, what can happen? You can get a wife. But you don't
2: spend it on the game. You spend it on the wife. <laughs> <laughs> he invested it wrong.
0: I'm telling you, if you know that the CEO of your company is a Clash of Plans whale, please reach out to us. I would just like to compile a list. <laughs> like, we'll never even publish it. We, we just, just want to, to have it. It's like, no wonder all these people were in NFTs. This dude's like, I got to sell this wall and there's no one to sell it to. <laughs> <laughs> my $50,000 wall. That's uh, really good. Okay. I promise you that I have not spent any money in Clash of Clans. Well, I, did, uh, I did once spend some money in Candy Crush and I felt such overwhelming yeah. shame <laughs> that I had cheated my family out of what was rightfully theirs that I never played the game again. <laughs> So you did even worse. You, did, you spent the money and got no happiness. At least he spent money. I was like, I already happiness. got a wife. It's her money.
2: <laughs> he got a nice wall out of it. He got
0: nothing. <laughs> That's horrible. All right. We are so far over. Thanks to James for being on. Thanks to all of you who came and saw us at South by Southwest. That was really fun to, to meet yeah. folks. Uh, this week, we got Solo acts. This is a good one. Marco Arment, the developer of Overcast, is going to be on. We've been wanting to do uh, some kind of podcast with him forever. So I'm excited about that one. And then what's on the Wednesday show, David? We're going to talk about
4: a lot of stuff. We're going to talk about iPads. Uh, Dan Seifert wrote two consecutive really good things about iPads. So we're going to talk about Dan's feelings about iPads, which longtime listeners will know he has many of. We're going to talk about ATSC3, yes. um, just so Kranz will shut up about <laughs> it for once. That promises to be the longest segment we've ever done. And then Mitchell <laughs> is coming on, uh, to do a really cool, fun, special thing that we're not going to spoil just
1: yet, but it's going to be great. Yeah.
0: Very exciting. All right. That's it. That's for chest. Bye.
1: And that's a wrap for VergeCast this week. Thanks for listening. If you enjoy the show, subscribe in the podcast app of your choice or tell a friend. You can send us feedback at VergeCast at TheVerge.com. This show is produced by me, Liam James, and our senior audio director, Andrew Marino. This episode was edited and mixed by Amanda Rose-Smith. Our editorial director is Brooke Minters, and our executive producer is Eleanor Donovan. The Vergecast is a production of The Verge and Vox Media Podcast Network. And that's it. We'll see you next week. Thank you to Kohler for supporting this episode. Who says smart things can't also be beautiful things. The Numi 2.0 is Kohler's most advanced toilet ever. Equipped with fully customizable bidet, heated seats, automatic cleaning cycles, and on-demand smart home functions thanks to its built-in Alexa, the Numi 2.0 is a fully connected oasis of clean and comfort with unmatched sculptural design. Customize the lights to match your interior or your mood and enjoy an immersive, intuitive experience of personalized luxury and cleanliness. More than a toilet, it's a work of art. Learn more at Kohler.com.